Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. On this day where we remember and we also anticipate, as we think about what it means to be called a saint, speak to us today, Lord. May we hear your message and may we respond. We ask this, Heavenly Father, in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. As I said earlier, today is a special day in the church calendar. Only behind Easter and Christmas as far as importance in theologically what it talks about and also the way it's been celebrated throughout history. And yet, as a child growing up in church, I never heard about this day until I was a seminary student in a congregation that happened to have All Saints Day. Now, I did have, and I said this last week, I did have some experience with Halloween. And as I mentioned last week, at least part of Halloween's roots are in All Hallows' Eve, which is the night before All Hallows' Day. Hallows or Hallows is just another word for holy. Now, we use the word saint. They're the same word, the same idea. In the Bible, when we see the word saints, we can see the word holy ones. So there's a connection to Halloween as the night before All Saints Day. Now, there's other things if you look into the history of Halloween as well. And it's not always clear what it is and what it's not about. But for sure, Halloween became the night before All Saints Day, which became a really important day for a lot of Christians for a lot of history. Now, there's reasons that that changed. And there's reasons that a lot of Protestant denominations were a little bit nervous about All Saints, and specifically the day after called All Souls Day, which is the second day of November. But should we be nervous about All Saints, or can we learn about it? And can we learn from it? And what should our approach be? Now, I've been here, this will be, I think, the fifth time I've preached a sermon on All Saints, maybe a fourth. Can't keep track of all that quite right. So there's been a number of approaches I've probably taken. But this year, what we're just going to do is we're going to look at these texts that were chosen by a committee of Christians across denominations to say this is the message we want to bring out of Scripture for this important day. And so we're going to end up in Luke chapter uh, 6, verse 20. So if you want to start to open there, you can. But we are going to skate through a couple of the earlier passages first. But first, it it is Luke chapter 6. And I didn't mention this last week if you were here, because I said this passage makes people uncomfortable. Especially because we were talking last week, if you weren't here, we did the story of Zacchaeus, which is about a rich tax collector. And now we're going to have a a series of sayings that Jesus says that seem to be completely the opposite of what he says to Zacchaeus. So we're going to look at that here in a minute. But before that, we need to build with our passage that started in Daniel. But if you want to open up to Luke, it is um, on page number 1468. And that's where we'll be in a minute. But before that, we need to start with Daniel. So Daniel is one of these books that maybe you've 
been familiar with, maybe you're not. Daniel is one of the four major prophets. But Daniel is different than the others because Daniel has what's called apocalyptic literature. Now, if you've been here when we talked about the book of Revelation, we talked about apocalyptic literature. But it's not something that you talk about every day. Daniel has a combination of apocalyptic literature and stories. We might know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or the hand that's writing on the wall. So there's those narrative stories, but then there's these random crazy dreams in the middle. What we need to remember is Daniel is happening after both the northern and southern kingdom have been exiled into um, foreign rule. So the way that worked was when Jerusalem fell, the Babylonians came in and they found the, the smartest and the brightest Israelites, and they shipped them off to Babylon. And they said, we're going to turn you into good Babylonian citizens. We're going to give you a great life, but we're going to turn you into Babylonians. And we're going to put you to work in our government. It's a way to, you know, assimilate people you've conquered, but also to get the best and the brightest from them. So Daniel and his friends, who we hear about in other stories, are these people. But Daniel, you know, refuses to assimilate. But still, he has success in the courts of Babylon. And one of the things he does while he's in the courts is he has these dreams as a prophet. And we read one of those dreams today. Now, we're not going to read all of it again. We're going to look at a couple of the verses. So this is Daniel's dream. He says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven turning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the other, came up out of the sea. So he's talking about beasts. So this is right here. This is definitional apocalyptic language. So talking about the four winds from the corners of the sea. So basically wind coming from everywhere, and it stirs up the sea underneath. In the ancient world, the sea was chaos and darkness. And out of the darkness and the abyss comes these great beasts of terror. And this is the way the ancient people thought about this world. And so this is what's going on. So of course, Daniel is very uncomfortable and so he says this, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the vision that passed through my mind disturbed me. I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So in his dream, which we miss a lot of it, uh, there is an angel or an angel-like figure who is there. So Daniel goes to talk to this figure, and this figure interprets the dream for him. So we don't need to reinterpret this dream. It's already been interpreted. This is what it means. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth. Now, if you read people and even popular literature, there's all kinds of debate about who these four kings are. But that's not what we're trying to figure out. What we're trying to see is that in this dream, Daniel is faced with the reality that there are kings that try to rule the earth. And Daniel understands this very well. He lived in his own little country, his own little city-state, really. It was a city with a small king and some outlying land. And a bigger king came and took over and shipped him off. That was the ancient world. So people understood 
that when you were in these situations, that kings were going to try to rule you, and if you're weaker than the people around you, they're going to conquer you. That's just the way it was. So Daniel's like, of course I'm familiar with the fact that there's kings that try to rule the world. But for All Saints Day, this has a bigger focus for all of us. Because it's not just that there's kings that try to rule the world in the ancient world, but there's people that try to rule us today. And I'm not talking necessarily even about, you know, government officials. Governments are different. But still, there are people out there trying to get our attention, trying to get our focus, trying to command our respect. And for All Saints Day, we have to ask ourselves, who is it that we're going to follow? And this is the end of that vision that Daniel has. Well, not the end of maybe, but this is the end of what we're going to be reading. But the holy people of the Most High will receive, will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. So now we think about the psalm, which we're not going to read again. But that psalm is all about God rescuing his people from oppression. It was a psalm written by people who had just had their homes taken from them, their children ripped away, their entire livelihoods gone. And there's this psalm that says, someday God will come and restore that brokenness. And now in Daniel, Daniel says, sees, look, there's all these kings that you might be under, but one day your God will reign again and you will be under him and you, his chosen people, will be the one who received his kingdom. On All Saints Day, we need to see that God is king alone. There are other people trying to rule us, other rulers, gods, dark powers that expect you to bow down to them. But God alone is worthy of our worship. But this does cause a question. So if this is the God that we're to bow down to, what is this God like? In All Saints Day, they have these readings that help us see. The first one is in that psalm, here in verse 4 and 5. For the Lord takes delight in his people. He crowns the humble with victory. Let his faithful people rejoice in this honor and sing for joy on their beds. So we get, see this snapshot that God is one who delights in his people. He wants his people to receive blessing and to re receive love and celebration. And then we had that passage from Ephesians. And we just spent 10 weeks going through Ephesians. I'm not going to read any of that passage again. But that passage is from the first chapter of Ephesians. And it's when Paul strongly reminds the Ephesians that they are chosen people of God. That even though they are Gentiles, not all of them are Jews, they are chosen people of God. And then Paul says, because you are chosen... God, in the language of our children's curriculum, godly play, this is how they talk about when people get to know God. They say that God comes close to them, and they come close to God. And that's exactly what Paul says in that passage. God wants to come close to you. And he wants you to come close to him. He wants to change you. 
show you what is true, and he wants you to experience his love. And this is when the story of all saints starts to become clear. God wants us to see that he is king, but more than that, he wants us to know that he wants to come close to us, and he wants us to come close to him. He wants us to know him. He wants to have a relationship where we're near him and he's near to us. So All Saints Day comes down to knowing God. The people who we talk to talk about as saints. Now, if you are part of a Roman Catholic tradition growing up or if you're familiar, you know they have lots of saints. And these saints are people who knew God well. And they have a lot of miraculous stories around these saints. But what gets lost in that is all of us who are in Jesus are saints, and we can know God too. And he wants to come close to us, just like he came close to the amazing, miraculous saints that we hear about in history. He wants to come close to all of us. But there's something about that we need to remember. And that's what this passage from Luke points out. When we come close to God, it changes us. So let's take this passage from Luke. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you, and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for what is now, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. So just last week I said that we, um, when, if you're here for the story of Zacchaeus, I said that this passage looms in your mind if you've read through Luke. Because unlike the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, which talks about the poor in spirit, Matthew straight up says, if you are poor, you are blessed. And then you have the story of Zacchaeus, who's a very, very rich tax collector. If you were here last week, I said he was probably one of the more rich people in the city. He controlled a customs port probably in the city of Jericho. And he was very wealthy. So how is it that Jesus received Zacchaeus so warmly if he was rich? if Jesus is against rich people. And the reason is because he's, like I said last week, he's not actually against rich people. It's all about the heart. But what this passage does point out is that the kingdom of God has different values than the world. The world has no space for people who are poor and weak They only get in the way. And I understand that we have traditions in our own political system where we talk about some of these things. The only place those come from 
is Jesus. Without Jesus, those are not in our history. But it's not just about people who are poor. It's about everybody who needs to come and be transformed by Jesus. But Jesus wants to say, my kingdom is different than the world, and we're going to value most the people who are the most at risk and the most vulnerable. The world works with power and wealth, but that's not how the kingdom of God works. Instead, it works with values that are about weakness and powerlessness. Remember, Jesus said, I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice to defeat the powers of the world. Coming into the kingdom should change us. It means that our value system gets flipped on its head. There's a way that we talk about this if you read Bible scholars. They talk about Luke as the great reversal. The, all the values of the world get flipped over, and the kingdom of God is like everything flipped over. Anything that the world thinks is important almost certainly isn't important in the kingdom of God. And that's the way that Luke talks about it. And these are the kind of values that we need to adopt. And we see this specifically in this last part of chapter 6. But to you who are listening, I say, and this is where we see Jesus' radical message, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. What Jesus is calling us to is to adopt a value of love. And it's not just any love. It's love rooted in what was the beginning of the story today. Love in recognizing that we have one king who we're called to first love. And then as we come close to him, we are transformed into people who love like he loves. So love first comes from God. Because we can easily define love however we like, but there's only one place we can find love, and that is from God. And that's what All Saints Day is about. It's about realizing that it comes down to knowing God, and knowing God changes us. Knowing God changes us. There's no other way to see it. All Saints Day is about people who have been changed by God's love, and they've been transformed into people who live the way of Jesus. Knowing God changes us. We become so different that people want to know why we've changed. And all we can say is, knowing God changes us. So if Christmas is about the beginning of the story, or the beginning of Jesus' entrance into the story, and if Easter is about the climax of Jesus' story, All Saints Day is about the end. But it's not just about the end. And this is what we have to learn. And for so long in American and Western Christian history, it was about the end. 
It was about getting to the point where you say yes to Jesus and then you get to the end. But that's not what it's about. It's actually the end comes to this very moment. When you say, I am changed and I'm living the kingdom life now. So we talk about bringing justice to the world. We're talking about bringing the kingdom to the world now. We're talking about bringing love to the world, peace to the world, hope to the world. It's about bringing the kingdom to the world now. And it all starts with knowing God and knowing that God changes us. So long before the end comes, long before we ring the bell as you're placed over your grave, and we're going to be ringing the bell today for the people who we remember from this past year. But long before that moment, and the people who we celebrate at the end of their life, we remember how they did that all the way through. That they were living every moment knowing that God changes them. But all the way through, we live the kingdom because we are kingdom people. And we only live the kingdom because we're changed people. And we become changed people by knowing God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. A day with lots of emotion for some of us. A day where we remember people who we've lost. But also a day when we're reminded of our own place in your kingdom. We don't have to wait till we pass, Lord, to consider ourselves saints. We consider ourselves saints now. And as saints, we are people who have been changed by your love and your power and your spirit that lives in us. May you empower us to be the people who live that life, to live the way of Jesus, to transform the world. Lord, may you speak to us today. May we not forget this message of all saints. That you are king, that you want us to come near to you because you want to be near to us. And that by doing so, you will change us and we will become more like you. We ask you to be with us, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.